Welcome to the Everyday Ultra Podcast, a show designed to help you level up your training, crush your races, and ultimately become a better endurance athlete every single day. Whether you're an endurance athlete as a hobby or someone who wants to be the best in the sport, this is the show for you. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and thank you so much for listening. Now, let's get into it. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Everyday Ultra Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Corsione, and this is the episode, everybody, the first one of many of the Cocodona 250 training recap series. Now, as you all know, or maybe not know, I am training for the Cocodona 250 mile race in Arizona that is May 2024. So we got about five months until the day, and I started training about a month ago. And what I'm going to be doing is going through my training month by month on an episode, diving into what I'm doing in terms of training, what my training is structured like, what's the intentionality behind it, what I'm learning along the way. That way you can glean some insights from my training, whether you are training for any kind of race, right? Not just a 250 mile race, or maybe you are going for a 200 mile race, doesn't matter. I'm going to be breaking it down into principles that are going to help you to really just dive into your own training as well. And if you're curious about a 200 mile race, or maybe you're training for Cocodona, feel free to take any tips or tricks or strategies or anything on here. I want to be as open as possible with my training in here as well. So we're going to cover everything. And this is going to be the first episode. And we're going to do an episode of this every single month to get you posted on my Cocodona training. So excited to do that too. Now, before we start this episode, Because 250-mile races are synonymous with not just adventure, but also very sore legs, I wanted to give some exciting news here that has helped me to conquer sore muscles in my training. Um, So I want to let you know that I've officially partnered with this amazing company called Play On Relief. And I've been using their product for a few months now, even before I started Cocodona training. And I loved it so much, I wanted to partner with them to let you guys in on all the amazing benefits that I get from it. Because I frequently get asked, how do you deal with muscle soreness during long runs, during races, or even after long efforts. And of course, the best answer is the more that you train, the less sore that you'll be. But let's face it, long runs can still hurt, especially in a race. So to help with my own soreness, I've been using this topical spray, Play On, during my long runs and races, and it is a game changer for aches, pains, and muscle soreness because it zaps soreness away in seconds and lasts a really long time. It's so easy to use too, and I don't even have to rub it in. No mess because that is no bueno on the trails. I can't get enough of it for my muscles on my long runs in races and in recovery. And the best part is it's sweat resistant. So when you were out there working hard, it stays on your body. Now, when you spray it on, it goes to work in seconds because it goes beyond the skin and into the muscle directly where the soreness is to reduce pain at the source, as opposed to other CBD creams or icy hot that's just on the skin level. And plus it's all natural, FDA compliant and backed by 10 years of research. So it's legit. I hate putting stuff in my body filled with chemicals. So that's why I like the natural mixture of play on. And because play on helped me battle extreme leg soreness at this year's Havilene 100 at mile 60. I'm telling you, if you deal with aches and pains or you're looking to be less sore in your next ultra, you got to try this stuff. And because I love this product so much, Plan is going to give you a special discount on your next order. And you can use the code EverydayUltra at checkout to get a special discount of 20% on your order at the link in the show notes or go to playonrelief.com. That's 20% off your order on the link in the show notes or at playonrelief.com so you can get less sore muscles in your next long run or your next race. Hope you try it so you can be less sore, keep on running strong, and play on. 
All right, everybody, speaking of play on, let's talk about train on, right? Train on, Cocodona 250, baby. So a lot of you are familiar with Cocodona, but if you're unfamiliar with Cocodona, what it is, it's a 250-mile foot race that starts just outside of Phoenix, Arizona, and goes 250 miles north to Flagstaff, Arizona. And this race is just absolutely epic it is era viper running's first 200 plus mile event and let me tell you it's so cool and it's so cool for so many different reasons and i'll go into the training too but i want to always set the stage for cocodona just how epic of a race it is um you start out in the desert just outside of phoenix where there's cactus there's you know uh, desert terrain and scenery and hot weather and everything like that and you basically you climb to Sedona which is you know red rocks and think about like Mars like terrain that's what Sedona is and then even from Sedona you go into Flagstaff which is an alpine town in Arizona that's you know at 7,000 feet it's got alpine pines everywhere snow-capped mountains and just absolute beauty and you summit one of the mountains inside of or at inside you summit one of the mountains at flagstaff at the very very end mount eldon and then you finish in downtown flagstaff and what's super cool about it is just a variety of terrain right you get the desert you get the red rocks of sedona and then you also get you know the beautiful alpine territory of flagstaff here too and like for me like this race excites me for so many reasons like first and foremost um i think it's an ode to arizona and arizona has such a special place in my heart that's where i live i live in phoenix arizona i didn't grow up there but like i have so many of my best memories in the world not just in phoenix but also in flagstaff in sedona in even prescott which is another town that it goes through so like to go through all of these different towns just gets me super excited and the cool thing is too like I mean, it's just an awesome event. So um, I'll kind of talk about like a more deeper reasons of what got me to do this race this year. And and the reason why I'm sharing this is because if you're like on the fence about a specific race, um, I kind of want you to think about like things that, you know, you want to do next year as we head into 2024. Um, so for me, I've always wanted to do a 200 mile race. Always. I've been wanting to do it ever since I got into running. But for me, I had always seen it as something that I do two to three years down the road from now. So really like a 2025 or 2026 or even 2027 thing and my original thinking was I really want to do um you know more faster and kind of flatter stuff now and then really get more into like the longer distance kind of stuff later on once I've kind of mastered that thing and so you know and and I had heard different opinions about doing a 200 mile race when you're still trying to be very fast in your career because some people think that those things are contradictory but the more that I kind of looked into different athletes doing the race, I try to look at, say, okay, who are some athletes out here who are still running fast and who are able to do Cocodona, you know, in a short kind of time frame. And some of those athletes that I looked at were Joe McConaughey, who won Cocodona two years ago, and he's still running very, very fast, you know, in his training and his races and everything like that too. Brianna Grigsby, who's also a friend of mine, she um, did Cocodona um, a few years ago as well. And she's doing super, super well in her running career um, too. And, you know, she's placed top 10 at Canyons 100K and, you know, has been really, really high up at a lot of fast races so like that was really encouraging to me too and looking at those athletes like it helped to kind of say like okay like this is not something that you know is the norm in terms of like you know having an athlete be 
sidelined from doing something fast because they do something like a Coca Dona 250. So that was like the one thing that helped me to get over that because like at first I was like I want to do the fast stuff and then Coca Dona because I don't know if I'm going to be able to come back from the fast stuff. So that belief was kind of shattered in me. The second thing too is I actually paced my good friend Aaron Fleischer who um, he's done Coca-Dona all three years. Like he's done all three and he's going for the fourth year this year. And this dude is also amazing. I mean, he's one of my great friends, but he's done the Triple Crown twice, um, the Grand Slam twice of 200s. So um, the dude is just uh, an absolute beast when it comes to the 200s. And I actually did an episode with him in the Coca-Dona preview episode, um, but I paced him for 70 miles in Coca-Dona last year. And it was most of the last 70 miles minus one section. And it was a blast. Like I saw firsthand on the trail, what a 200 mile race was. And I didn't realize like how much of an adventure it was. Like it was just this like amazing adventure. And there was just something about like being able to move these very long distances on your feet, going from terrain to terrain, to aid station, to aid station, and seeing all people out there who have gone 200 plus miles and interacting with them. It was just a whole different experience. And that was just something that was so eye opening to me. And like, you can see when people cross that finish line, like how rewarding of an experience that is. And like, that was that first kind of seed planted in my mind, but still I was like, okay, Maybe I'll do it next year, but we'll kind of go into there. Now, the the moment where I knew that I was going to do a 200-mile race um, was this year I had the, the privilege and just honor to pay Sally McRae at both Bigfoot 200 and Moab 240, which, by the way, if you um, are looking for some inspirational running content, uh, Sally just dropped her newest Moab 240 documentary. It is super epic. Um, I'm, I make a little bit of appearance in there, which is super awesome and honored to be a part of it, but um, definitely watch that. But anywho, I first paced her at Bigfoot for 100 miles, and I got that same sense of adventure and just seeing Sally like push through some incredible lows to really make this incredible progress despite the lows she was facing was just like so inspiring to me and seeing her cross the finish line at both Bigfoot and Moab like with just this like huge smile on her face and this deep sense of fulfillment and knowing that she went through so many so much like just pain and lows and everything to come out the other side and just have this deep sense of fulfillment like that to me was like oh my gosh like I want to feel that like for myself and not to say that you have to do a 200 mile race to do that but I think there's there was just something deeper in a 200 mile race that really you can only experience if you've done it right um because 100 miles is awesome and i've done you know multiple 100 mile races but there's something about that 200 mile distance that you can just see the deep um just um I don't know, sense of fulfillment that comes from people who do this thing. So, so then I pretty much got 100% in on Coca-Dona after I paced Sally at Moab 240. Um, because when I saw her cross that finish line, I was like, oh, like that was incredible. And I had like probably the best time of my life for all three times I was pacing into 200. We're for my friend Aaron at Coca-Dona, for Sally at Bigfoot, and also Sally at Moab. Those are some of the, the best memories of my entire life. Um, and I know that if I can do that myself, I know I'm going to be able to create the amazing memories. And so all that really came to a head because, you know, as I was thinking about how much I wanted to do this race and then kind of also battling this conflict of like, I still want to do a golden ticket. I still want to be fast. You know, I asked myself, I said one question. I was like, why not? Why not now? Like, why wait to do something that I really want to do that my heart is telling me to do? Um because here's the reality, like the reality is life can just be up in, you know, 
a snap of a finger. And I don't just mean like life, like life or death, but also too, who knows? Like maybe you can get, maybe you get injured. Maybe you get into a freak accident. Like maybe something happens in your life where, you know, you can't put in the time to train for a 200 mile race. And I told myself, I was like, if I really want to do this thing, why wait? And so for me, I was like, okay, well, if I want to do this and I also want to go over the golden ticket of Javelina next year, which I a hundred percent am, I'm signing up for Javelina on new year's day and I'm going for that golden ticket. Um, is this possible? And so I mapped out my whole schedule and I mapped out like what the training would potentially look like and, you know, how my race schedule kind of all fits into things and like if it was going to be conflicting with Javelina and everything like that. And I also actually hired a new coach. So this is an interesting thing. So I'm, first of all, first and foremost, I'm a running coach as well. Now I've done multiple hundred milers. I've done hundred Ks. I've done 50 Ks. I've done 50 milers. I've done all those things as well. And I know how to train for those things. I know how to structure training programs for those races. I've looked at the research on those races. I coach currently 40 athletes on the Everyday Ultra Racing Team to help them to crush their goals. And for me, I know what it takes to train for anything 100 miles or less. Now, when it comes to the 200 miles, they are relatively newer, right? They're relatively newer. They're not, there's not too much research on them. And what was really interesting was that when I did the Coca Dona 250 preview series earlier this year, where I was like interviewing a lot of people on their training, what I kind of found was like there is no one size fits all when it comes to 250 mile training. Like a lot of people were doing things a little different. A lot of people were doing things um, just there was no kind of standardization for the training, which was just really, really interesting to me, especially on the sleep stuff, which I'll talk about a little bit later. Um, but like the sleep strategy wasn't standardized. Even just like training wasn't standardized. I heard like a lot of people doing tons of volume. I heard a lot of people doing not as much volume. I heard some people doing speed work, some people just not doing speed work. And so I was just really interested in trying to find out, okay, like what is the real way to train for this 200 mile race? And even I'm in the process of getting USCA certified, which is the um, gold standard in ultra running certification. And a lot of the principles in there are amazing. That's what I use for my training and everything like that. Um, but the interesting thing is there is like the 200 miles just seems like there are so much specific stuff that a lot of literature and studies don't necessarily cover. So like for me all the time when I'm in the space of like, okay, how do I learn the tools to success for doing this one specific race? And you know, how, how do I make sure to know I get all the tools and the knowledge on this thing? And my belief all the time is like, find someone who has done the thing that you have done, whether it is run a hundred mile race, whether it is, you know, get a PR in a 50 miler, like whatever that thing is, look at someone who's doing that thing and learn their strategies for success. And like, that's like, for me as like an ultra running coach, that's what I want to provide my athletes and saying like, Hey, I've done all these things. I've made the mistakes. I've done the research. I want to be able to share all the training and the programming and the tips and the knowledge to help you get to where you want to be so you're not making the mistakes. And I knew for me going into Cocodona, I did not want to make a ton of mistakes going in. And so I know I will, but like the reality is like I want to be able to not have to learn the hard way and learn from people who already made those mistakes so I can see the success. So for me, um, as you all know, for, for years, I had been working with Zach Bitter as my coach um, 
for for years and years, and that's been a great relationship, and it's been super super awesome. Um, however, when it came to Cocodona, I was really really curious to learn from a 200 mile um, and through hiker specialist, and so Zach and I are we we are still on great terms, and I just want to say that, and I've been super thankful to work with Zach over the past few years as a coach for this 200 mile race specifically. I actually am working with Joe McConaughey, so Joe Stringbean McConaughey. Stringbean's been on the podcast. He won Cocodona two years ago, as I mentioned before. He's also has tons of FKTs, like fastest known time on the Arizona Trail and unsupported on the Appalachian Trail. So when it comes to these long distance events, um, Joe was a guy that I really look up to. Now, what even got me deeper into Joe because I know there's a lot of other 200 mile athletes who do coaching and you know who have great results and everything. What really intrigued me about Joe is Joe is also a very like fast runner sub 200 miles as well and that's not to say like that other people aren't but he likes to throw his hat in the ring in you know javelina like he did this year and like the faster races and he does well at those things and he does really really um puts up some fast times in there and so like for me i'm like okay that's that's who I want to emulate and that's who I want to learn from. And that's the style I like. So I tapped on with Joe and I've been working with him for 200 mile training. So a lot of the things I've learned is coming from him and I'll kind of go through like the lessons that I'm learning and applying, um, based on, you know, working with a legend like string bean, which has been just eye opening for me. So all that being said, I've been working with Joe Stringby McConaughey and we've been putting together this training plan on here as well. So, um, no, but kind of going on. So let's let's get into the training here. Let's get into the training of what it looks like. Now, there are a few overarching things about 200 mile training that I was pretty shocked to kind of dive into as we went through putting through the plan together and everything like that. And the, the first thing is that, and this one was super shocking to me, but also at the same time, wasn't as shocking to me. So it was kind of like a dichotomy. But that thing was, is that 200 mile training is not that different than 100 mile training. And why I say that blows my mind and doesn't at the same time is I'll tell you why it blows my mind. It blows my mind because, and I'm sure it blows a lot of people's mind as well, is because when I think of like 200 mile training, like you're going or 200 miles in general, you're going much slower. You're hiking a lot more. You're being much more efficient with, you know, the way that you're power hiking. Whereas like if you're doing a hundred mile race, you know, you're generally doing a lot more running. You're doing a lot more, um, or a lot less hiking, depending on the kind of course that you're doing. And it's a different kind of beast, right? Because like a 200 mile race, like you're walking a decent amount of it. Whereas like a hundred mile race, you might only walk a little bit of it depending on the course and depending on the style. Right. And so to me, like that, that blew my mind in the first place. I was like, wow, like hundred miles to 200 miles. But the reason why that is, is because there's only so much volume that you can inherently train for in a given week. Right. And especially if you have like a full-time job and a family and all these things as well. Now, if you're a professional athlete, right, you can load up the volume as is, but, um, for most people who, you know, have a full-time job, they have a family, they have other commitments. Um, for me, like, I mean, I coach full-time and I do podcasting full-time. Um, but I have a fiance as well and we're getting married in January. I want to build a great relationship with that. And for me too, I also want to be able to build this coaching business and build this podcast and everything like that. So, you know, I have a limited amount of time as well. There really comes a point where you can only kind of train so much without it dipping into sleep and stress levels. And that, that's a really important thing, right? Because I think this is a great training principle in general for anyone who has a busy life who wants to be able to train for an ultra marathon. Because a lot of the times we think like, oh, we got to put in so much volume and we got to keep building week after week after week after week. 
Yes, that is true. You do got to build volume. You do got to build the time on feet. You do have to be able to hit those things. However, however, there's going to be a plateau at some point, right? Where you are going to either have to cut in on sleep or you're going to have to inherently add more stress to get in the training itself. And to me, like when you get to that point where you're skimping on sleep or it just becomes way more stressful than it is enjoyable to do the training, that's where... I would say you kind of hit the capacity in terms of like what you can do in your life. Now, really too, like I always like to use the minimum maximum principle developed by Jason Coop and suggested by USCA for their ultra running certification to determine what's the minimum amount of time that you need to do a specific race. So what USCA suggests is, and what I also suggest too, when I'm programming athletes is for a 50 K and a 50 mile race, um, you need to hit at least six hours of running in your highest three weeks of training leading up to a 50 K or a 50 miler in order to be ready for that race for a hundred K and a hundred miles, you have to hit at least nine hours of training or which is nine hours of running in your highest six weeks of training for your hundred K or hundred miler. Now they don't give any, uh, guidance on 200 miles on there. They just keep it to hundred miles, hundred K 50 miles and 50 K. Hence why, you know, I'm like, how the heck do we train for this thing? Right. And so not to knock us go or anything, but I'm just saying there's not a lot of stuff out there, but all that to say, right, to, to kind of go back to the original point is that, you know, you don't have to be doing 15 or 16 or 20 hours a week in order to be ready for a hundred mile or a hundred K or even a 50 mile or 50 K. Now, if you can fit that training in and your fitness is able to be able to load up to that and you are not sacrificing sleep or anything like that, go for it. But the reality is like a lot of people you know, it gets to that point where it starts to eat into the other things in our life that just make us a lot more prone to injuries and things like that, right? Because sleep is one of the biggest things that you need for recovery. And I always say like, once we start to skimp on sleep, it is a really um, just dangerous kind of game because like the thing with sleep is, and I'm looking at the actual stats on this, um, but I, man, this, this graph always haunts me. Yeah, here it is. So they did a study in terms of what is the link of sleep versus the chance of injury and eight hours of sleep, like difference from seven hours of sleep. So that's just one hour in sleep difference. You have about a 30% increase of a chance of injury just from that one less hours of sleep at night. Now I'm not saying that like, if you get one hour of sleep for one night, it's going to get you injured. That's not what I'm saying. But if you consistently do that over time, you increase your chances for injury. And even from seven to six hours, you know, you are going up by another about 20 or no less than 20%. So about like 18%, I'm looking at the graph right here. So just to know that like anytime, like you're increasing volume and sleep is going down, you're increasing your risk for injury. So you got to find that sweet spot in there. So why I say that for a 200 mile race is like, and as I was kind of talking with Joe and everything like that, like there's, there's really only a point that you can get to training where ultimately you, you know, you dip into those kind of things. And so it's way better to get the sleep and get the recovery um, while still getting in a decent amount of miles. But when you get to the point where, you know, it, it, it 
totally just, uh, you know, starts to blast asleep, then that's a big thing. And then the stress thing is also uh, a consideration as well, because stress in the mind has the same effect on our body physically as if we were going out for a run. So if you're just increasing volume like crazy and you're super stressed about it, right? You're stressed about getting the training and you're stressed about, you know, maybe you're dipping into work hours or maybe you're, you know, missing family commitments and that's causing stress in the home and like you're just like really really just in this mental stress state like your your body's not going to recover as well because you have all this cortisol which is the stress hormone pumping in your body and it it that inherently leads to inflammation it leads to your body not taking care of um recovering a lot better because it is more worried about like keeping your body like in this survival mode right where it's just trying to like protect itself and so the stress is also another factor to consider as well so anyways that's just some training principle things but i say that because you know with with 200 mile training if you just like exponentially increase your things like or your training volume um, and it dips into those things that's danger zone now all that to say yes you do got to train a lot for a 200 mile race um but what I'm noticing is that like, if you follow that minimum maximum principle, it definitely hugs pretty close to that nine hours, at least a week. And what was interesting, I was doing some studies or I was doing some research and I was looking at some top athletes before Coca Dona, uh, uh, over the past few years of like, okay, here are the people who won or came in the podium for these races. What was their training like? And so like some people I was looking at were Joe Stringbean McConaughey, uh, Michael McKnight, um, Mike's a legend, shout out Mike, uh, Mika Thews, Sarah Ostazewski. I was looking at like a lot of these athletes who were doing well in these 200 mile races. And what I found really, really shocked me. And the thing that shocked me the most is that a lot of these athletes were rarely hitting a hundred mile weeks, if any at all. Um, like I think I was looking back at it. Like, I don't know. I don't think Mike hit a hundred mile a week. Um, I don't think a lot of these athletes hit hundred mile weeks. Like it was mostly a lot of time on feet, but even with the time on feet, it wasn't like this absurd amount where it was like, Oh my gosh, you're doing so much volume. Now, conversely, I must add, you know, someone like Jason Coop, when he did it two years ago. And again, I've, I really, really respect and appreciate Coop and think he's one of the most knowledgeable guys in the sport. He was putting in, I think anywhere between like 25 and 30 hours, like on his peak weeks, like in 136 miles. So he was just loading on the volume. Um, so again, one of those things where it's like, well, what do I do here? Now for me, I usually like to look at what are the common themes between people who are super successful and Coop did pretty well, like his first year, like he, he did well. Like, I think he, I don't remember exactly where he came in and by the way, I'm, I'm love Coop. So, um, but I'm looking this up on my handy dandy. I wish I had like Jamie from like Joe Rogan's like, Jamie, pull up uh, Jason Coop's result at Cocodona. Um, yeah, so he came uh, sixth place male at Cocodona. So still pretty good, 75 hours. Um, and so for me, like, but like when I like to look at like commonalities, I like to say like, okay, like where are the common strategies and like for me it was like more lower volume than you think like lower mileage but higher time on feet but like not a crazy amount of time on feet so that was an interesting thing for me and so all that to being said like the reason why i say that is because like if you're on the fence about like training for a 200 miler yes the event itself is a long thing like you could be out there for potentially a week and you have to give up a lot of time and resources and they're not the cheapest races of all time too. So, um, something to consider as well. It is a big commitment, but like in terms of the training, like you don't, don't feel like you have to put in like 20 hours or like 35 hours or like this crazy amount where like you're doing another full-time job. Like it is pretty similar to a hundred mile training as is. Now, another thing that makes it similar to a hundred mile training is, um, 
And this is the thing that didn't surprise me. Like when I said, like I was the thing, I was shocked and also not shocked at the same time. The thing that I was not shocked about was that it, we use the same principles to build a training program for Cocodona than you would for a hundred mile or a hundred k, fifty mile or fifty k. So what do I mean by that? Right? When you look at the when when I'm looking at an athlete, right, and they come to me and they say, "Hey, I want to uh, train for my next hundred mile race." Great. Um, what are some things that I want to do? Is number one, like, what are your strengths? And weaknesses. Number two, what's our time to the race itself? And number three, what are the training blocks that we're going to incorporate in that specific um, training block or not training block and training plan so we can be able to be well-rounded and developed in all of our intensities to be able to be best trained for this 100 mile race. And what do I mean by that last point? This goes into a whole episode on like training theory and application, which we'll kind of do later on too. I know it's on my docket of episodes to do, but essentially like you want to always have a base building block if you need to, which means like just building your base up. Then after the base building phase, you want to do a VO2 max phase, which is like short intervals and think like traditional marathon kind of style workouts, which are important for ultra marathons. Then you want to do a lactate threshold phase where you're doing less intense workouts, but think more tempo runs and all that kind of stuff as well. And you start to build your long run in that phase and then lastly you do an endurance phase which is you're focusing on the long runs the back-to-back long runs the core specificity all those kind of things as well now you don't have to do all three of those things like because it really depends on number one like how close is the race and number two like what do you most want to work on like you might just do an endurance block for your training or if you are like hey i don't really care too too much about speed i just want to be able to go the distance you might prioritize more of a lactate threshold and endurance block and maybe not do vo2 max right so there's just some things in there i think all three are helpful no matter if you're trying to finish a race or um podium the race i think all three things can help you to hit your goals but for some people it's not as important in terms of like getting VO2 max or they might not be able to handle the speed work in time and we can't develop that thing in there. Again, this goes into training application and and everything, which will be in another episode. But the reason why I say that is because we're doing the same thing for Cocodona training. So it's the same kind of principle. So I started out in a base building period, which has basically been for the first few weeks of my Cocodona training. Um, because for me, I took a whole month off after Javelina 100 miler because I wanted to take some time off. And originally I was going to take two full months off. But um, as some of you know, my father unexpectedly passed away um, really suddenly and unexpectedly. It was, yeah, just a crazy experience and really deeply affected me to my core and um, I knew for me getting into running was just going to help me to cope Um, and so um, because of that I actually came out of the offseason early and started my training officially date I let's see the date when I started to train officially I started training officially for Cocodona on November 29th so yeah look at that about a about a month ago from today Uh, and I'm recording this on December 30th so Um, yeah, but that's, uh, what I did for pretty much, um, a lot of the, um, kind of few weeks leading into the race itself. So, uh, not the race, the first few weeks leading into the training as well, because I just needed to build that base mileage. And that's like great 
tip for anybody who um, has taken some time off after a race or things like that, you always want to just gradually build back up your volume. And so like for me, like how I kind of had my training structured was um, on the first week of training, which was for me again, the the week of November 27th, um, I did 250 minutes that week. Um, The week after that, um, I did. Oh, so that's another thing in there. So it is lower. I had about 300 minutes planned, but I ended up getting sick, which I'll talk about. So I took some days off from there. Um, and then December 11th, again, it was just kind of a build period. I went up to 390 minutes that week. And then once I built the base and also did some strides to introduce my body into intensity, which by the way, if you're looking to build from base and then go into a speed phase, always do strides, um, at least two to three times a week in your runs to get your body used to that higher intensity, right? Because if you just jump right into speed work when you haven't done it in a while, um, I always say it's a one-way ticket to the PT's office and we don't want that at all. So um, I was doing base building and some strides in those runs as well. And then we went into basically a speed phase where we're focusing on kind of tempo efforts. And so generally with like a longer kind of block, we would usually focus on VO2 max. And when I say we, I mean, you know, if I'm working with an athlete, it's there and I'm working with Joe too. But you would essentially work on like kind of like a VO2 max phase where you're doing a lot of short intervals. But because I really only have four months of Cocodona and I really want to build a lot of volume and like here's the other thing you want to think about with an athlete is like what is their weaknesses versus strengths. And so for me, like I had never done a 200 mile race before and I know for me like um, I know I need to get my body and mind used to like going longer for slower um, kind of phases. So for me, right, I've been used to kind of doing these running really fast races like Javelina and Black Canyon. I did canyons too, which was a lot of climbing, but pretty runnable. And for me, I needed to get my body and mind used to going for longer for a slower pace because, and a slower intensity, I should say, because in inherently that I needed to get my body kind of used to that. So because of that, we have a longer kind of focus on endurance when it comes to training for Cocodona. So for us, we're not really doing a huge VO2 max kind of base phase. We're doing more of like a lactate threshold, um, phase where we're focusing on a tempo run intensity and we're going to be pretty much doing that up until my 50k which is a tune-up i have a tune-up 50k that i'm going to be doing on february 4th which is elephant mountain 50k here in aravipa uh here in aravipa run by aravipa here in the phoenix area um so that's going to be kind of the focus on there and then after that we're going to be focusing a lot on endurance stuff and i'll be doing a two to three uh day training camp where i'm focusing a lot on sleep strategies and things like that i'll be doing 100k and then it will be cocodona uh, so I'll go into all those things because we're going to be covering those kind of week by week. But the way that I have it kind of structured is focusing on a speed block um, for a decent amount of time. Like I'm looking at the kind of plan that we have written up here. So I'll be doing a speed block for one, two, three, four, five, about five weeks. And then I do the 50K race and then recovery week. And then um, And then we're pretty much focusing a lot on endurance work, also interjected with some tempo work in there, pretty much leading up into Cocodona. And I'll also be doing a two to three day training camp in March um, where I'm going to be practicing a lot of sleep strategies and 
being sleep deprived because like for me it's i think one of my biggest things that i need to work on is being able to manage that sleep deprivation because i for me i know just in life and not just running i suck at operating with sleep deprivation so and i know that's a big thing to manage when it comes to a 200 mile race so we're going to be doing a two to three day training camp in march where i'm going to be doing something where you know we're going to do like a 30 mile day take a trail nap for like an hour or so and then get up and go for more miles in the darkness to try and simulate that kind of race day. So more details on that training camp to come, but that's one thing we'll be doing to help me to get used to it. And we're going to be doing that pretty early on because a lot of people think training camp, they think, oh, like doing this like a few weeks before the race, this will actually be in early March, which is nearly two months from the race itself. And so the reason why that is, is because when you structure a training plan, you really need to focus on your weaknesses first and your strengths closer towards the race. And so for me, like we're at a point right now where I'm kind of still base building and I want to focus on speed where it wouldn't make as sense to kind of work on the sleep deprivation stuff yet, but we're working on it early in the endurance block because it is a weakness of mine and we want to be able to get that strategy right. Because if you do the weaknesses earlier, you have more time to work on those things throughout the plan. Whereas if you work on your weaknesses closer to the race itself, if you are still struggling in that area, you kind of have a very tight window to work on those things. Plus it can lead to lower confidence in the race because if you're working on your weaknesses closer to that, it's going to be more top of mind. Whereas if you're working on your strengths and honing in on those things closer to the race, not only is it something where you're like, okay, I'm really honing in these, these strengths, but at the same time, you build the confidence to be able to go forward and nail it when you get to the race because you're like, oh, I'm doing the things that I'm good at. I'm doing the things I'm confident at. And ultimately during race day, you show up much more trusting in your skills and abilities to get on there as well. So always think about weaknesses first and strengths last towards the training block. And that's kind of how we have ours figured out here and as well. And then after that two to three day training ramp, I'll be doing hundred K in April. I'm still trying to finalize which one, which I'm super pumped about which one I'm thinking about doing, but I need to figure out the travel and everything like that. So yes, it's not local, but by the way, it's not in the U S either. So Super excited about that. And then uh, after that 100K, we'll be working a lot on endurance leading up to Cocodona, um, which will be the uh, week of May 6th. So that's kind of how we have the training plan all laid out. And so the reason why I think that's so interesting, by the way, too, is because a lot of people think about 200-mile races and it's like, why are you even working on speed? Like, why are you even working on intervals and things like that? And the reason why is because when you do intervals, like that helps you to be a more efficient athlete, even at the endurance intensity, right? Because here's the thing, like, and this is again, getting into training application and everything, but you kind of have different intensities I mean, everybody has different intensities that you can run at, right? And generally, I like to train by RPE, and I do think that RPE is the superior way to train for an ultra marathon. Which, by the way, if you want to learn all about RPE, we had an episode all about, um, you know, why RPE is better than heart rate training for an ultra marathon. So, if you want to listen to that, go ahead. But when you train by RPE, which is rate of perceived exertion, aka by feel, you do it on a scale of one to ten, one being the least intense and ten. Being being the most intense, but you got to work all intensities in order to be a well-rounded athlete because each intensity targets a different energy system. And when you train each energy system, that inherently will build up the other one as well. And one energy system's improvement will help the other energy systems as well. So if you just focus on one energy system, which let's just say the endurance system, which most people think of when they think of training for an ultra in general, right? It's like low and slow mileage, which yes, if you are going to prioritize 
any type of training. It's got to be the low, the slow, the long miles, the all day kind of intensity, right? Think two to three out of 10. That's the type of intensity you want to prioritize. However, don't do that at the expense of just only doing that race or only doing that intensity and forgetting the higher intensities that also are going to help you improve your endurance intensity and also therefore your pace. And so I'll give you an example. For me, for years, all I did was train in that two to three RPE. That's all I did for years. And I think that's a great place for a lot of people to start. However, I kind of hit a plateau after a while. I hit a plateau where I was like, why is my endurance pace not getting faster? Because I did see gains for, you know, the first months I was in there just doing low intensity work and I saw my pace start to drop and I was like, oh my gosh, it's actually working. It's doing amazing. But at a point I hit a plateau and what helped me get out of that plateau was I started to implement speed work. And as I implemented the speed work, not only did I get faster at those intensities going faster, but I also got faster at the endurance intensity. And I saw like my average pace at a two to a three drop from 930 to eight minute miles. And so that was just super cool to see. So if we know that to be true with a 100 miler and 100k race, that same thing applies when it comes to 200 mile distances as well. Because if you are getting, if you are working on those intensities, it is going to help your um, longer distance intensity at the endurance um, two to three RPE. So um, I'm focusing on that currently in my training right now because I do want to get better at the endurance stuff. Now, here's a cool little kind of caveat with this whole thing as well is even though I'm still doing endurance type efforts on the weekends, because generally the way that I have my training kind of structured as I'm pulling up. um, And let's just go through this in detail, actually. We'll go through it in detail week by week as we kind of go through it. And I'll kind of talk about where I was going to. So the first week where I started training, the first official day of training was Wednesday, November 29th. And all I was doing was 60 to 70 minute easy runs on the road. That's it. I was just getting warmed up, just getting the base building, just getting those things out of there. And the one thing I got to say, like when I first was doing this, like I felt just not as fit as I was um, when I was doing Javelina training. I mean, I'd taken a month off essentially. And man, let me tell you, like my pace was pretty slow for me relative to where it was a month ago. And that's normal. When you take a lot of time off, it really, really will maybe take some time to get into the groove. And that's a normal thing. Now, I will also say during that period where I did take off, I was not sleeping a lot. Um, I had just launched my coaching business and it was doing great. And I was also working a full-time job and I'm also planning for a wedding and I was also doing all these things. And so I was trying to cram this all into, you know, uh, into the limited time I have each week. And I was actually foregoing sleep a little bit, which is to me, like I was willing to take that risk because I wasn't training at all. If I was training, I wouldn't have foregone the sleep, but I wasn't sleeping as well in those time periods as well. As I also mentioned before, my dad unexpectedly passed away and that was a very, very hard thing for me. It was, it was very, very stressful. So my stress levels were nearly at an all time high. And, um, because of the combination of the lack of sleep and the stress, I also think that had to do with an impact of me not running to my full potential, um, in that initial week coming back. But uh, yeah, it was like my pace was way slower at that two to three RPE, which is a normal thing. And listen, that happens a lot. Even if you don't have a lot of stress or if you are getting enough sleep, you know, when you take some time off for running and that's just the thing to, you got to accept, right? You got to accept, okay, I've 
it's not an indication of like where you're going to be in the future. And so that's what I kind of had to keep telling myself and what I encourage you to tell yourself if you take some time off and start running again is, hey, like these first few runs, they're probably not going to be where I was at, you know, at my prime or at where I was at, like when I was really, really fit. And that's okay because here's the reality. It goes away, but it comes back a lot quicker. And so a lot of the times when you do these first runs and kind of shake out the cobwebs, it's kind of like, oh, like it's going to take me so long to build this back. Like, I can't believe it. Like all that hard work was for nothing. No, it's not. It actually comes back a lot quicker than you think. Because for me, even though that first week I was felt like I was moving really, really slow. And to give you some context, my recovery two to three pace um, before Javelina at the peak was pretty much like eight minutes a mile, like maybe a little less, like 755. And when I was going on these easy runs, it was really like 930. And uh, I was like, oh boy, like this is, this is no bueno. But I keep telling myself, I kept telling myself, okay, it's going to get better. It's, it's going to come back. And I think trusting that process is really, really important when it comes to coming back to those things. But like I said, I ran four times the first week of the week of the 27th. Um, I did three 60 minute runs on uh, road. And then I did one 70 minute run on the Sunday, all on a road. And so why did I do the road instead of trails? Like for me, um, it was just more convenient to get on the roads because during that time I was dealing with, you know, a lot of family stuff with my dad's passing and it was just, I didn't have access to a car and I couldn't get to the trails. And I always say like, if it's going to be much more of a stressful thing to get to a trailhead or to drive to it, especially early on in the plan when you don't need to be as specific to the training and you're just focused on building base miles, which is all I was doing. Um, you don't have to get out on the trail. So for me, I was just run on the road because I could just put on my shoes, open up my front door of my parents' house, and then just, um, you know, get out on the bike path that I have close to me. And so that's what I was just doing for the first week. So keeping it simple. Now, the next week I started to incorporate uh, a little bit of faster stuff, but like not, not crazy fast, like more kind of like strides style hill repeats. Um, so it wasn't like full blown kind of like a hill repeat workout. Like essentially what it was, was I was just going for like 12 seconds up a hill at a, you know, nine to 10 RPE or nine RPE, I should say, not 10, but like a nine RPE. And with that, right, 12 seconds, that's really like a strides effort. So I wasn't inherently doing a full blown speed workout, but I was just trying to get my body used to that intensity again. And we were doing it on hills because like the hills is, I mean, it's a great way to build climbing efficiency, but it also is a great way to prevent injury when it comes to speed workouts. And I'll tell you why it's because with speed workouts, if you just kind of throw yourself in it, and you're doing it on flatter ground and you do that consistently, what happens is you increase the force that your body gets when you're making um, a step when you're running. Because when you're running, you do take on about two, like, two times your um, body weight. Um, that's the impact that goes back to your body. Now, if you're going up a hill, think about when you're running up a hill, it's lighter impact. Like you're not slamming the ground as much. You're kind of using those things, but your intensity levels can still get up. So going on hills when you're doing your first few speed workouts can be really beneficial because it lowers the impact, but you also get that intensity that you need. And it's easier to get into that intensity too, right? We all know sometimes even just hiking up a hill can make your body, you know, feel like you're huffing and puffing a lot. And so, um, that is, you know, just something to think about, um, when you're getting into speed work is going on those hills to reduce that chance of injury because you are in, you are decreasing the impact on your musculoskeletal system, which you, um, 
which really gets taxed when you're doing it on flat roads and bringing up the intensity as well. So uh, I did a, a hill workout. Now, right after the hill workout, I felt like absolute crap, meaning like not just physically, like, or meaning like my body and muscles and things like that. Like, but I was feeling congested. I was feeling sick. I was feeling like just not great. And I said, you know what? Maybe this is just, you know, maybe just an effect of training. I'm going to go out and try a run the next morning. And what I did was I tried an hour easy run and I just immediately felt just super sick. And like right after the run, I said, okay, let me go and take a COVID test, took a COVID test. That thing came back screaming positive. I mean, like, it was like, you know, it was like, I took the test and like the, the line that said positive was like the, just immediately just so bright. And I was like, oh yeah, I got COVID. So I got COVID. And I've said this on the podcast before, and this is very timely because I know a lot of people are getting sick these times of years. And um, for me, as badly as I wanted to run, and I was like, wow, I just got to training and this happened, I took some time off. And this is crucial for anyone who gets sick in their training is to take some time off. And the reason why this is, and I've said this on a podcast before, is because if you run while you are sick, you are going to make yourself infinitely sicker and you're going to have a longer time period to get back up to where you were before. And so I've had many times in the past where I've totally fucked this up and I was sick and I was like, I'm going to be tough. I'm going to go out and sick. It's just a head cold, like no worries. And you go out and run. And then the next day you go back and you're like, I feel so much sicker. Um, and that's because when you do that, like your, your, your immune system is already compromised when you're running healthy, your immune system is down. Like that's just how it is. In fact, a lot of people actually get sick after ultra marathons because your immune system just gets kind of shot. I remember the first time I did my first two races, first 200 milers, I got so sick right after, um, and it's because the immune system's down. So if we know that to be true and our immune system is already fighting a sickness when we're cold, you can imagine just how much of a disaster that can be for your immune system when you go out and run when you're sick. So all the time, if you're sick, let me tell you, I'll tell you this right now, there will be zero pretty much zero benefit to the training that you're doing out there physically when you are running sick. And in fact, it might actually detrain you and might even set you back further because what's going to happen is you're not going to recover as well. You have an increased chance for injury because your body doesn't have as much resources to prioritize those things as well. At the same time, you can make yourself sicker, which can ultimately lead you to be on the sidelines a lot longer. You can feel worse. So let me tell you, my friends, do not run while you are sick. Please do not. I had to take that into account. And, you know, I was grateful because like, I was like, okay, this is early on in the training. This is not like my peak week or anything like that. So that helped too. But like when people were like, were you freaking out when you were sick and not training? No. Like at first I was like, well, fuck this sucks because I just started. But I knew I said, okay, if I just take these days off, it's going to pay off dividends in the long run as well. Now I beat the sickness pretty quick. I didn't feel like like horrible with COVID. Like I felt sick, but it's not like I was like on my deathbed. I just felt like really congested and I had a headache and uh, everything like that. But I pretty much was symptom free on Saturday, which is great. Now coming back into it, I did it super easy, just 30 minutes. That's it. And this is when I had no symptoms. And this is what I suggest anyone do when they get back from a sickness is just keep it at an easy intensity, keep it at a low uh, volume and just see how your body feels because you might get out there. Like even if you're feeling symptom free and go for a run and you're just like, nope, that ain't it. I'm not doing it. And so just know, just keep it like wean into it pretty slowly. And so for me, the 30 minute run felt great. The next day I did 45 minutes again, not ramping it up too quickly and did it on there as well. And I was back to go into full training from there. 
Now, um, when we went into the next week, it was just much more base building, but I started to get a lot more on the trails and started to add in a little bit more vert. So that next week I did a 60, 60 minute run on Monday. I actually did a steady state workout, not a tempo uh, run workout, but I did some steady state intervals on um, Tuesday, um, December, is that 12th? Yes, Tuesday, December 12th. And basically all that was, was just a structured steady state workout, which if we're thinking on the terms of RPE, it's about a four to a five. So a little higher intensity, but not crazy. And uh, just say, again, get my body used to going at a higher intensity because you don't want to just jump right into a tempo workout. You want to give your body a little bit used to it. So you can do that in strides or you can do that in steady state runs as well, which is what I like to program athletes when they are getting ready to get into a speed kind of phase. So I was doing that as well. And then I started to get on the trails. Um, and so I did two trail runs that week, one for two hours and one for, um, 80 minutes. And here's the thing with these trail efforts usually with these trail efforts. So on the one day I got about a thousand feet of vert. And then the other one I got, um, uh, almost 2000 feet of vert. And a lot of the times with those verts, like on my normal kind of training runs, I would actually just run up the hill. I would run up the hills. And usually that would feel like at a good intensity for me because I like to do these anywhere between, you know, a two to a five RPE, depending on, you know, where I'm at in training and kind of everything like that. But like, I was like, no, I need to do these at an easy intensity and I need to walk these hills. And the reason why that is, is because I, I needed to practice going. Um, this is what I was going to say before coming back to the podcast. Now, um, when it comes to the long runs is practicing the ability to be able to go slower and go at a lower intensity because here's the thing right i can run at a two to three at like 8 30 minute mile per pace but i'm probably not gonna run at that for coca dona and like because over time like you need to conserve your energy so greatly when it comes to a 200 mile race because it's so long and because it has so many things so like for me like if i was doing a 100 mile race i'd probably be running up the hills but I don't want to like really kick it into too high of an intensity. So I walked pretty much every single hill that I was going in, in these training runs to practice that lower intensity. And even when I was running on the trail on flat ground, I would go at a much lower intensity. So most of the times when I would do my long runs, I would kind of run in anywhere between like a three to depending again on the, on the kind of workout that I was doing, but most, most, more so often than not doing like a three RPE. Um, but for these, I was really more hugging closer to like a two RPE. And so because I was closing, like hugging closer to that two RPE, I was doing, you know, walking up the hills. I was not bombing it down the hills. I was like really taking like a slow and easy trot, like on like the flats and the straightaways and things like that, instead of just absolutely just going out there and just kind of going at a three RPE feeling really, really good. Um, and the reason why that is, is because I needed to practice the patience. I needed to practice going slower. I needed to practice going at a lower intensity because I knew I know that's what I'm going to have to do at Cocodona to be successful in those kind of races, right? We look at like the average paces for a lot of these athletes and really they're like 945 at the fastest. And like, even so, like a lot of these athletes, you know, they're going anywhere between like 12 minute miles when they're running, when they're running, not just, not just hiking, when they're running. And so um, I know for me that I got to be the same way if I'm going to make it to those 250 miles in a strong way. I mean, even if you think about the winning time at Cocodona, like the winning times at Cocodona, like I, um, oh gosh, I should have pulled it up in preparation for this episode, but um, I want to look at Mike McKnight's like average pace. 
last year at Cocodona and he set the record. So I'm let's just do this like real time here. So Mike did it in 69.41. So let's do pace calculator because this is um, interesting to know. So Mike did uh, 69 hours and 41 minutes and over the course of 250 miles. Let's see what the average pace is on that. And this is a lapse. So your average pace is oh wait no that was wrong i was like why is it saying like okay so that's 1643 is his average pace so if you think about that that's not even uh let's see 15 30 45 that's like yeah not even four miles an hour which is really really interesting it's 3.59 miles an hour so that like wins cocodona according to last year could be faster this year but like 1645 now granted that's a lapse that counts sleep that counts aid station time that counts a lot of things where you're stopping at these 200 mile races but like yeah like you're really not going that that fast and so i needed to practice that because i know myself and i know that if i just kind of just run as i always do like and i don't respect the distance it's going to come up to catch up with me later so that's been the biggest thing for me it's like walking when needed to like going up these hills to keep the intensity lower than usual and just focus on time on feet and that's what i like to say for any of these kind of races in general um for ultra marathons is like focus on time on feet don't focus on miles and like so for me, like, I don't, I don't give a shit if I do, like, I just did, I just came back from my long run today, quote unquote long run, but that long run, quote unquote, was 11 miles long. Now it was 11 miles with 3000 feet of elevation gain. And it was like incredibly fucking technical. I'm in New York right now um, with my family and man, the trails in the East coast are just on another level. And it was super slippery, super rainy. Um, and it was really, really technical. So I didn't want to like fuck myself up. And so I wasn't like bombing down these things, but you know, it was, it was definitely a slower effort, but like, I don't give a shit that it was 11, 11 miles. Like what I give a crap about is like, what's the vert that I'm getting in. And also at the same time, like what's my time on feet? Because really in the end of the day, like that's the only thing that's going to matter to me. Now, of course I want to like focus on like my pace and how I'm moving efficiently and things like that as well. But for me, it's more so time on feet over everything. So I'm not, I'm not looking to do like trying to be like, Oh, I need to hit like 135 mile a week. Like, nah, like I'd be saying like, you know, okay. Like my target for each week of what I'm doing for training is time on feet and also vert as well, which is interesting because like a lot of time with vert, you know, it's, um, it's something that I wouldn't be inclined to always say like, yeah, hit this amount of vert each week, but I'm trying to get a little bit more in tune with it because I know Cocodona doesn't have too much climbing, but it's got a lot of climbing in the beginning and it's got a lot of climbing at the middle and Sedona. And then it's got a lot of climbing at the end with Eldon. And so I know I want to get a little bit more practice with those kind of things. And so that's why I'm kind of being a little bit more intentional and vert, but like, I don't give a shit about the miles as much as I do the time on feet. So anyways, um, that's kind of the gauge and how it's been going and why, how I've been doing the trails, um, a little bit, you know, slower and reserved in there as well. And it's been really, really helping me out too. Um, so that was the week of the 11th, which my totals for that week were, um, 503 minutes. Oh yeah. By the way, I guess like, a let me, let me do a little bit of a recap here because I was, I actually, I think I read the wrong numbers earlier in the race. My, my bad. I was looking at a whole different kind of spreadsheet here, but, um, geez, come on, Joe. Um, 
I just got back from my long run. You know how it is coming back from it. But anyways, November 20th, the week of November 27th, my time was 248 minutes. Week two, my time on feet was 207, but that was also the week I got sick. So I didn't run a lot of those weeks. Then the week after that, my time on feet went to, there it is, 503 minutes. So 503 minutes. So that's where we kind of bumped it up pretty significantly from there. And then the actual vert was 4,531 feet. So that was the week that I just talked about. Then in the next week, we started to get on our first tempo run. So I did do a hill repeat workout, but again, very much in that strides kind of phase where it was only like 15 seconds, again, just to kind of get the body used to it. And then I did my first tempo run, which was great. Like I I love to get into that tempo run and I felt great and it felt good. And so this tempo run workout specifically, I'll kind of give it to you on here, um, was do, 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 pulling it up here. Um, yeah, so it was about six minutes on with a three minutes rest and doing that for one, two, three, four sets. So just doing that pretty, um, pretty straightforward kind of tempo run workout. Um, just getting used to that intensity and that felt great and good thanks to all the strides and the, um, hill kind of, uh, strides that I was doing as well, um, leading up into that. So that felt great too. And then, um, I had a little bit of a longer run on the Friday. So it was just two hours with about two K of vert. Um, again, just doing slow mileage. Now this one was kind of nuts because for this one, holy crap. So I was in Arizona and a lot of people are, uh, you know, have kind of seen this post on Instagram, but, um, it was raining like crazy. And a lot of times people are like raining in Arizona. What the hell? Yeah, I know. Trust me. It's kind of weird, but, um, it was like pouring rain, like raining sideways. It was nuts. The wind was like 20 miles an hour. It was like freaking crazy. And, uh, I was on this trail and I had to go so slow because like the wind was whipping and like my eyes were getting all wet and I was like, Oh, it's so slippery. And so like, it was nuts. And so like for me in this kind of like moment, and it's really interesting because I've also been back in New York and like, I think every day that I've ran on the trail, it's been rainy and wet and disgusting and like just terrible conditions. But I like that. I like that because like, here's the thing, like in a 200 mile race, like, and especially in Cocodona, you go through many different types of, um, weather, right? You go from hot and, and dry and just like really beaten down sun in the beginning when you're in the desert phase. And even when you get to Sedona, but then when you get to Flagstaff, it's in May and Flagstaff in May can still get pretty cold. And even when you summit up Eldon, I remember I was here in Eldon this year at the summit on like one of the, the first nights when people were going up that it was like, uh, just these crazy 30 mile an hour winds. And it was like the real feel was like below 10 degrees. Like it was freezing and just whipping wind and everything like that. And I think there was even some hail on one section of the course when I was seeing Sally's video or Sally's movie on Moab too. So like these, these conditions can come up. And for me, I asked myself this question and this is something to ask yourself as well. It's like, if I don't want to go out and run when I'm fresh, I slept in a bed. Like I didn't run today. If I'm like worried to go out in there, like how the fuck am I going to feel if I'm out there at like mile 200 and I'm heading into Flagstaff and it starts to hail and rain and even snow, like who knows, right? Like you got to be able to be strong and get the fuck out there and like not worry about that. So like you have to get to the point in your training where like those outside factors like weather, like blisters, like gear malfunctions, right? All these things, no factor. That's what you got to tell yourself. No factor. And uh, I actually got that from Jocko Willink, who Nanny's just uh, one of my favorite um, thought leaders in the, in the uh, mental toughness space. But 
Navy SEAL dude, you see this guy, you're like, oh my God, this guy looks like a Navy SEAL. Uh, but anyways, he, he always talks about something called no factor, right? When something pops up in a mission that he would be on, you know, when he was deployed in, um, in the Middle East, anytime like some issue would come up, no factor no factor, no factor, doesn't matter. Keep executing the mission. That's where the mindset that you got to get into when you're in a 200 mile race is like no factor. And you, because it's no factor, you got to figure out how to get through it. You got to figure out how to solve it. You got to figure out all these things, but you can't get caught up in like, Oh, it's raining. Like, Oh my gosh. Like you, you can't do that shit because it's 250 miles. Things are going to go wrong. Like weather is going to be shitty at least one time throughout that race, probably two at least. And you got to be able to have that no factor. So for me, like even on that day specifically, it was raining cats and dogs. And I was like, fuck this, this sucks. And like the parking lot was dead. I was like, nah, you're getting out there anyways. And even I've been in New York, it's been freezing. It's been cold. It's been raining every single day that I'm here. Yes. In December, which is wild. Um, and the trails have been just so wet and muddy and like, there's no way to not get your feet wet. And I was like, nah, like this is, this is what it is. If this was Coca-Dona, I'd have no choice, but to go through it. Like what am I going to let this kind of get in my way? No. So I would just kind of go through the motions. And so for me, even so, like here, here's another example too. One of the other runs that I did that was a trail run. I had just this super slam day where I was just like, I had all these calls and this was like when I was still with my full-time job, I've since left. Um, but, um, I had the full-time job and then I was coaching clients and then I had like a wedding appointment that day too. And like I had wedding appointment because I'm getting married, um, next month, but I had like it was just a jam packed day. And the only time I could get in a trail run because I had trail run scheduled was at like 6 PM that night and it was pitch black. And for me, like I, I, there's another thing, another like thing working on weaknesses. Like I don't like running at night. I just don't. Um, I it's, it's just something that I mentally need to get myself a little bit more around. And so I said, yeah, Coconona, like there's literally a hundred percent chance that you're going to be running at night. Um, and you're probably going to do one of those nights alone. And so you got to suck it up buttercup and get out there and practice this thing so i said okay great i'm gonna get out there and run and i did i ran in the pitch black and it was fine it was great and i was like oh this is not so bad this is kind of fun now granted i did see like a homeless dude on the trail it was actually like a little aggressive which was no bueno but so just be safe out there please like don't just go out there and rip these night runs um and definitely be definitely be safe out there but, uh, regardless, I was like, Oh, I made it. It was great. And, uh, no, no problem at all. So I, I'll, what I say all this to say is like, you know, find your weaknesses in the beginning and go for it. And then like, do whenever there's like these things that can pop up in the race that happen on your training, go out and do it. Right. Are you going to run out in the nighttime? Like, and you're uncomfortable about that? Like maybe go ahead and do that. Are you uncomfortable about, you know, go ahead and, and, and climbing, then go ahead and do that. I have a client who's racing for a very verty race. And one of the big things that, you know, they're, they're concerned about is the climbing. And so I said, okay, like we're going to do a lot of climbing and we're going to send you out for a long run. And then the next day we're going to do a lot of climbing to simulate the race, to help you to build the confidence, to be able to do that. Right. So you got to find the areas early on in your training where you feel like you need the most work on and then go out and work on it. Like that's the biggest thing. Again, weaknesses first, strengths later. Now, now there is going to be a time where, you know, you're kind of have a close window on the race and you might still feel like you're weak in an area and you're going to have to work on them later in the race. And that's totally, or later in the training plan. And that's totally fine because sometimes you just, you're still weak in an area and you still want to work on those things. You don't want to just want to say, Oh, well, let's just accept it's a weakness and only work on the strengths. No, absolutely not. 
But I sell this to say the earlier you can work on the weaknesses, the better when it comes to training, which has kind of been, you know, a hallmark of the Cocodona training in here as well. So that was that kind of first week. And the long runs have been going great. I mean, like I haven't felt spent on the long runs. I think it's mostly because I'm just going at a lower intensity. And yeah, like I'm just not, not, not getting out of those. I'm, I'm getting out of those long runs and feeling like, wow, I can go for like another five to six hours, which is great. That's the intention that I want in these, um, longer races for, or longer training efforts for sure. Because I know like I I'm at a mile, like 150, I'm going to have to tell myself, yeah, you're going hundred miles. And like, you got to be strong enough to do this. And so I'm, I'm liking that I can get out of these training, these longer training runs in a way where I'm like, okay, like I'm feeling good. So I encourage anyone who's like training for, a 200 mile race or anything like that or even like a 100 mile race is to do some of your shorter long runs in a way where at the end you're like yeah i can keep going for a little bit that doesn't mean like you're not leaving it all on the table like because if you are leaving it all on the table on every single long run you're probably burning yourself out that that's the reality because you've got to be doing these intensity these long runs at an intensity that is your quote unquote all day intensity. And if you're telling yourself, Hey, I'm going at an all out intensity or all day intensity, but like after, you know, two hours, like I feel like I'm smoked. And again, this is assuming that you have a base built and everything like that too, because you know, two hours of someone just jumping in is going to feel hard, but assuming you have a base built and let's just say you're doing a two hour run. And at the end, you just feel smoked when you're supposed to go two or three RPE, you might be going a little too fast. And so that's just something to think about, especially when it comes to 200 mile race is like, are you finishing this thing up strong and feeling like you can keep going? Like that's going to be the big thing for sure. Um, so that was the week of December 18th. Anyways, just to kind of get off the tangent there. And that was 469 minutes that week with 5,000 feet of climbing. So yeah, pretty, pretty solid week. And then this week, so right now I am, um, I'm, I'm, one day away from completing it but right now so what i did i did mostly some trail work here and then i did um i just did a steady state workout this week i didn't do a tempo run this week just because i knew this week was going to be kind of busy with christmas and family time and things like that and like that's another thing to consider is like if you have a crazy schedule where you're traveling a lot and you just got a lot of commitments might not always be the best to do interval workouts because um, of course you're going to get the benefit from doing the interval workout, but sometimes too, if you know, it's going to be a very stressful week, if you know, you're going to be, you know, kind of in and out and things again, like you don't want to like increase intensity too, too much, because again, you need to look at your training load, not just from what you're doing time on feet, but your whole holistic view of your life. And so for me this week, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be pretty busy this week. Like it was my last week at my full-time job. So I was kind of closing that out and I knew it was going to be a lot of work. And so I was like, okay, I think we're just going to forego the tempo runs for one week and then we can pick it up the next week, um, which which is what we're kind of picking up on there as well. But this week was a lot of more low intensity volume and trail work. So this week in terms of time, kind of just adding it up so far. So in terms of time, uh, I have 640 minutes and then I have an 80 minute run tomorrow, which I'm going to be doing in central park in New York city. Um, yes, I'll be there for new year's Eve. So wish me luck. I'm not going to go see the ball drop, but I will, I will be there seeing friends. Um, again, wish me luck cause it's madness out there. And then vert wise, yeah, vert wise is about so far I've gotten about 6,000 feet. So a little bit higher than last week as well. Slowly ramping that up too. And then tomorrow, um, I'll be running in central park. So 
yeah, I'm assuming it's going to be pretty much dead flat. So that'll be the kind of training load on there. So all in all, like we're just slowly building up the miles on here and just really focusing on a few different things. As I mentioned, number one, focusing on getting faster a little bit by increasing intensity slightly and also throwing in some tempo runs and some steady state run workouts as well. So that's the big thing too. increasing the base mileage. So that's why we're doing a lot of this um, running stuff and then also honing in on weaknesses. So like for me, it is the um, hiking efficiency and going slower and all those kind of things as well, which I'm focusing on in there and uh, running at night, which I've done a few times as well, which is something that I'm working on too. And then, and the most important thing, and this kind of goes back to the earlier thing I was saying is just getting my fitness back. Like, again, I'm going to do a whole episode on like what to prioritize in training, but I've said this many, many times on podcasts before. It's like when you think about all the things you can do in training, because you can do a fucking lot when it comes to training, like you can do uh, elevation training, you can do hiking, you can do vert training, you can do downhill training, you can do heat training, you can do this kind of training, you can do like so much kind of training. But there's one thing to always prioritize over everything else. If you only have to focus on one thing in your training, whether it is for a 200 mile race, whether it is for a 5k, whether it is for a 50 miler, like I don't care what race it is. The one thing that you should always be prioritizing is fitness. And because fitness is king. If you're fit, you're going to be able to climb better. If you're fit, you're going to be able to endure better. If you're fit, you're going to be able to go faster fitness is king. And as I mentioned earlier, when I was kind of talking about the podcast recap, um, or the podcast recap, geez, I need to eat. I think, uh, I think I'm still in a caloric depletion from today's long run, but earlier when I was talking about the first week of training plan, I was talking about how I wasn't feeling as fit as I was. Um, and for me, that just means like really in order to get quote unquote fit, um, of course you got to do the workouts and things like that. But the best way to get fit is to introduce low and slow, low intensity, easy runs at first, which has been a majority of my training, right? So out of all my training runs, right, I've done some workouts here and there. I've done some hill strides, all that kind of stuff, but let's just go through all the days of training. So we have, um, I'll include tomorrow as well. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. So out of the, I mean, even in those days, I mean, I have some rest days too, but like call it 30 days, right? Like actually I would say like 25 because I had some rest days in there and things like that too. 25 out of those like 25 days, actually I can actually count that. So one, two, three, four, five. Yeah, exactly. Out of those 25 days of training, really only five of those days have been intense or or intense -er, right? Because even steady state is not full intensity have been more intense focused runs. Whereas 20 of those, basically almost all of them have been at a low intensity. And so that's like the biggest thing is like that helps to build your base fitness. And like, that's where I needed to go to. And now I'm at the point where like now my easy runs are getting back to where, where I've been before for the most part. Um, it's not, I'm still being much more reserved on my easy runs for sure. And I'm not trying to like totally still go at like a three intensity. Like I'm still kind of lay it low at a two. But as I was saying before, like, you know, my quote unquote easy ish, like, or let's just call it my three RPE. My three RPE kind of in the beginning was like really hovering around like a 930. And now I'm back to like 830, which is kind of where I was at before. Little, still a little bit of work to go. But all that to say, like just in a matter of just some consistent weeks, like, I was able to get it down pretty quickly again. And like, I know probably by next week I can get that to like an eight or so because I'm like feeling really, really good. So just know, like, as I said in the beginning, like it goes away, but it comes back really, really quick. 
So anyways, that's my last few weeks of Cocodona training and hope that helps to kind of give you an insight. We're still early on, right? We still got about five months to go Cocodona training. We got January, well, four months, I should say. January, February, March, April. Yeah, about four months. Um, I promise you I can count. Um, so, but we're going to be doing an episode of this every single uh, month where we're talking about the training. We're actually going to have a special guest on one of the uh, episodes as well. So I'm, I want to get Joe, our coach, my, our coach, Joe McConaughey, my coach on here as well to talk about some training so i'm gonna ask if he's gonna be interested in that and joe if you're listening to this want to come on and chat about this uh <laughs> anyways and then we're also gonna have potentially another guest on who um who's also doing cocodona this year who uh we we maybe want to talk shop together on both of our trainings to kind of give you a multifaceted perspective on it so um and if you're listening to this um you might know who you are but i don't want to give it away yet because it's not set in stone so we shall see but if there's anything that you want to know i also want to open up q a for my next training series as well so i'll put a q a portion on instagram as well and if you just want to submit questions for the next episode on here or you just want to know offhand um please shoot me a dm on instagram i'm at joe corsione i would love to answer your questions about anything Cocodona training, I'm more than happy to do so. And I can include it into the next episode of the podcast as well. And as always, if there's always a topic you wanted me to dive deeper on, like always let me know. Like I said, we're going to continue to be consistent with the topics and the episodes and the training and all that fun stuff. So stay tuned for that. Now, in the meantime, my friends, I just want to say thank you so much for listening to this episode. I appreciate y'all so, so much and excited to dive into the next few months of Cocodona training with you all. And uh, that's it for today, everybody. Well, Let's get out there. Let's keep the training rolling. And remember, my friends, be a better endurance athlete every day. And we'll talk real soon. Take care.